Welcome to the Litigation Finance Podcast. I'm your host, John Freund. This podcast is brought to you by the Litigation Finance Journal, the only dedicated news source to the litigation finance industry. Please visit www.litigationfinancejournal.com. Our guest today is Stephen Kiriako, Managing Director and Senior Lawyer at Aon in the Litigation Risk and Special Opportunities Groups. Aon provides a range of legal insurance options, including defense-side adverse judgment insurance, plaintiff-side judgment preservation insurance, insurance-backed judgment monetization, and ATE insurance, among others. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast again, uh, and it's always great to speak with you, John, and I very much appreciate being given this platform to do what I love the most, which is spread the gospel of litigation and contingent risk insurance. Yeah, we're happy to help you spread that gospel, of course, and it's great to have you back. So let's start with uh, last year, 2023. This was a really strong year for litigation insurance. So I'd love to just start by just asking you to speak to some of those trends that we saw develop over the previous year. Yeah. So, you know, I've been at this for a while now, since 2019. So I guess going on five years and 2023 was really, you know, it was better than a strong year. It was the strongest year on record, both for Aon's business and for the broader litigation and contingent risk insurance market in terms of, you know, submission flow, number of deals closed, amount of premium brought into the market, size of deals, variety of deals, the number of insurers in the space, uh, awareness of these products, you name it, really kind of any metric you look at, it was the strongest year that we've had yet. Um, And really, I think one of the main trends we've seen uh, in the past year, which has really been a continuation of what's been happening over the last maybe two or three years, has been uh, the widespread adoption of these solutions by litigation funders and by other investors in litigation-related assets. And that's probably you know, no surprise to you or to your listeners here uh, or really to anyone who's been paying attention to the litigation funding space over the past two or three years. But certainly the litigation funding and litigation insurance businesses are more intertwined than they've ever been before, with many different funders now regularly seeking coverage for just about every sort of transaction that they do, whether that's insuring individual case investments in a pre- or post-judgment posture, uh, whether that's insuring loans made to plaintiff-side contingency fee law firms, whether it's wrapping full funds with insurance or obtaining ATE or what's known as after-the-event insurance, um, whether it's seeking Uh, what we call arbitral award default insurance for investments in arbitrations against sovereign states like uh, ICSID or UNCITRAL, the list goes on. Um, And, you know, the amount of inquiries and engagements that we get from funders these days is extremely encouraging, and it really only seems to be increasing uh, on a month-to-month basis. So that's certainly been a a major driver of, uh, of increased activity in the space. We're also starting to see some trends on the insurer side towards insurers being a little bit more open to insuring litigation funder risks, though there's still a lot of work uh, that's left to be done there. And I can give you an example of that. You know, we, we had a funder client who was looking to wrap a loan that they had made to a law firm that was litigating many cases involving a well-known tort. And the limit order that we had to fill was $120 million in coverage limits. Um, and now, while we've placed many policies with more than $500 million in limits, for actual litigants uh, to cases over the past several years, finding $120 million of capacity for a litigation funder risk outside of uh, one specific special purpose captive insurer with what I would describe as an unusual outlier 
structure that not all funders are able to get comfortable with and that I think many of your listeners may be familiar with, um, you know, finding that much coverage uh, for a litigation funder risk outside of that one specific insurer is not easy to do, given that there are still so many insurers who just won't touch litigation funder related risks. And so, you know, while we were working to fill this uh, very large $120 million limit order, another broker with a similarly sized limit order um, to wrap another law firm's portfolio comprised of cases involving the same well-known tort ended up, as I understand it, petering out at about $40 million in coverage between only about three insurers. Um, and that was kind of going into this process more or less what we expected the amount of available limits to be. Um, but our team, led by my indefatigable colleague Ed Conlin, who is the absolute best in the business when it comes to broking these sorts of litigation funder policies and coming up with unique, um, mutually beneficial coverage structures for these policies, he was able to change enough hearts and minds among insurers who until then had been resolute in their unwillingness to write litigation funder policies that we were ultimately able to fill the whole $120 million limit order across 12 different insurers. And again, you know, many of them had previously never done a litigation funding deal before. And so hitting a number like that for a risk like this would have been inconceivable even a year ago. And the fact that Ed was able to get it done, albeit after months of grinding work, demonstrates that the market is moving in the right direction on those sorts of risks. And while, as I said earlier, there is still a lot of work to be done in getting more insurers to be willing to underwrite litigation funder risks, I think the trend will continue as we keep showing insurers high quality funder risks. Um, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that sometimes the coverage that our funder clients want or need, uh, or even our non-funder clients for that matter, is something that doesn't even exist yet, right? Something that's never been done before. And that leads me to another trend, which is that insurers are becoming much more flexible and creative in working with us to develop different sorts of coverage structures for different kinds of litigation and contingent risks. And these policies that we bind really no longer need to fit into one of a small handful of neat little boxes. The mindset among insurers is starting to turn more towards being flexible and creative uh, in order to meet the needs of our insureds and, and our clients. And a good example of that would be the development of, I, I mentioned it earlier, this new product, Arbitral Award Default Insurance, which is a product that sort of lives at the intersection between litigation and contingent risk insurance on the one hand and political risk insurance on the other hand. And we're presently looking at a couple different opportunities to place this sort of coverage for different litigation funder clients. And the insurance company that's leading the charge in developing this new product, they're called Mosaic, uh, is willing to be very flexible in terms of structuring the precise coverage terms in order to meet the needs of our clients because they understand, uh, as I think more insurers are becoming, a, are starting to understand across you know, all of our solution lines, that this coverage needs to address uh, the client need in order to become you know, a viable and profitable line of business and that every client is going to have different needs when they decide to go out to market seeking any sort of litigation and contingent risk insurance coverage, whether that's arbitral award default insurance or something else. Uh, and then I think the last trend that I'll mention uh, is that I think insurers who write this coverage are starting to move slowly more towards acceptance of portfolio-based policies rather than just sticking with this type of you know, single-case policies on which the market was initially built and really has been humming along for the last couple of years. Uh, and from our perspective at Aon, it makes all the sense in the world for these insurers to be doing more portfolio-based policies because that helps to better diversify their books, 
and to kind of spread the risk around. Uh, and the increased willingness of insurers to do portfolio deals, of course, I think ties back in with insurers' increased willingness to insure litigation funders and plaintiff-side law firms because those are the sorts of, you know, the, the main buyers for that sort of coverage. So, you know, I think that's a, a good overview of some of the main trends that we've seen uh, over the last year or so, which I think we expect to continue over the next year uh, and beyond. Yeah, I really love those examples you gave, and especially that first example, um, which just shows a, where you have a 3x multiple really on, you know, your deal, the deal you did versus the deal you saw in market, both on the number of insurers and on the uh, total amount insured. It just really highlights uh, the growth in this sector. And um, uh, speaking of that growth, my next question is about uh, an interview you gave in a, with Above the Law recently. You, you, you noted that insurers expect to see between 100 and 120 submissions for 2023, that they expected to see that many. Um, first of all, what, what level of growth does that represent? And, and what, uh, what accounts for that level of extreme growth, would you say? I think it varies from insurer to insurer because, you know, while Aon, our, our practice is typically to go out to every insurer in the market with every risk that we have, unless our client has a specific reason for not going to a given insurer, right? Because maybe that insurer is insuring a defendant in the litigation um, where we're trying to insure the judgment uh, or because an insurer is actually a defendant in the litigation or something like that. Um, but typically we go out to everyone, but not every broker does that. I think other brokers are much more kind of um, selective about who they go out to and, and kind of maybe pick and choose um, who, who they show their risks to. But um, from what we understand, I think it probably represents somewhere in the neighborhood of like a 20 to 25% increase uh, over calendar year 2022. And I think where we were in calendar tw year 2022 was another probably 20 to 25% increase over um, where we were the prior year. Um, and so, you know, obviously we're seeing, you know, I think I did describe it in that above the law article as hockey stick um, growth and, and hopefully that continues going forward. And, you know, why that, that extreme level of growth? I think a lot of it just comes down to awareness, right? Um, I actually decided to leave Boy Schiller um, back in 2019 to join Aon and help build out not only our litigation risk group, but also, you know, more fundamentally the broader litigation and contingent risk insurance market after I got a phone call from a headhunter asking me, you know, what do you know about litigation insurance? And it was the kind of phone call that law firm associates get a couple times a week and that you usually cut off before the conversation really starts. Um, but my curiosity was piqued because I had never heard of and didn't know anything about litigation insurance. So I stayed on the line to hear the pitch and it sounded interesting. Um, but then as I thought about potentially pursuing the opportunity and then as I you know, proceeded through rounds of interviews, I asked a ton of lawyers that I knew, both at Boy Schiller and outside of Boy Schiller, if they had ever heard of this insurance, and none of them had, not a single person. I Googled, there was basically nothing out there about any of this stuff other than uh, after the event insurance, which is a very different type of coverage as compared to the other uh, sorts of policies that we're doing with single case judgment preservation and adverse judgment insurance, and the sorts of policies that we're placing for litigation funders, uh, more on a portfolio basis. Um, you know, it was really just kind of totally, uh, there just wasn't anything out there, right? Um, and so then when I took the position, it became very clear that vanishingly few people outside of, uh, you know, what we call the transactional liability insurance world knew anything about these solutions, which were not very well developed on account of 
there not having been many policies placed. And the fact that most of the policies that had been placed uh, to date at that point in 2019 had been uh, defense side policies, what our team at Aon would eventually come to christen uh, as adverse judgment insurance. Uh, and most of those policies were placed in the context of trying to facilitate the closing of private equity related M&A deals. And there were really just a few that had gotten done. Um, so, you know, once I came over in 2019, there were years worth of educating that we need to do, needed to do. That meant, you know, talking to lawyers and litigation funders, writing thought leadership pieces, doing media interviews, speaking at conferences, doing podcasts like this. And while we were doing, you know, all of that educating of potential uh, buyers of this insurance or advisors who could advise their clients to buy this insurance, um, you know, we were also developing new solutions like judgment preservation insurance, um, insurance-backed judgment monetization, uh, all the different structures that we use to ensure litigation funder investments, none of which existed, um, you know, prior to 2019. Um, and so, you know, while we're still now constantly evolving all of our tried and true solution types and coverage structures, and we're still innovating new solutions and new coverages every day, things like judgment preservation insurance, um, insurance-backed judgment monetization, adverse judgment insurance, principal protection insurance, uh, wrappers for litigation funders, they're now, you know, very well known. So it's, you know, I no longer have to spend a protracted amount of time every time I'm introduced to someone explaining what this insurance is. More often than not nowadays, at least when speaking to folks from the litigation funding world, they already know quite a bit about it. Um, and as a broker, I've always said, these insurance solutions more or less sell themselves, right? The benefits that they confer to insureds are pretty obvious once the insureds and perhaps more importantly, their attorneys and their other advisors become aware of the existence of the coverage and understand the basics of how the coverage works. And I think we are now, you know, far enough along in the development of this marketplace that folks just, they know about it. Uh, they understand it. They know to pick up the phone and call me when they have something that, that, you know, that might be a fit for one of these insurance solutions. And that is what's really driving uh, so much of the increased activity. That's really great. That's all great to hear. Um, and one other thing that I noted in the Above the Law article was you mentioned really global growth, like you highlighted growth in the UK and the EMEA market. Um, and I'll use a quote that uh, cross-border activity where U.S. insureds are buying insurance for UK or European litigation risks are seeing an additional increase. So what's driving this trend? You know, I think it's the same thing. It's again down to awareness. Um, so we at Aon have built a really strong UK and EMEA team um, operating out of London, which includes former litigation funders, by the way. Um, but that all came about a few years after we started building out the business in the, the US and seeing um, a lot of success over here. And so it's taken some time to make you know, both UK and EMEA lawyers and potential insureds over there aware of the existence of these solutions as well as, you know, taking time to convince UK and EMEA insurers to offer these sorts of solutions. Um, but we're really starting to get there now. And I expect that we'll soon begin to see even greater activity levels as awareness continues to increase and as insurers become more sophisticated in their underwriting practices and capabilities over on the other side of the pond. Um, and then in terms of cross-border activities, you know, it's a global world and funders recognize that. And they're the ones who are driving much of the cross-border litigation and contingent risk insurance activity that we've seen uh, over the last, you know, year to 18 months. <clears throat> you know, as the funding space has gotten more crowded in the United States, 
there's naturally, you know, more competition for a finite set of high-quality U.S. litigation funding opportunities, which I think has driven many U.S.-based funders to look abroad for opportunities. And when those opportunities involve litigation outside of the U.S., we typically bring in our U.K. and EMEA team to place that insurance. And then the same thing is also happening in reverse, right, with non-U.S. funders increasingly deploying capital in U.S. litigation. Um, and there, our U.K. and EMEA colleagues will bring in my U.S.-based team to assist them in placing insurance for those risks. Uh, and it's not just the U.K. and EMEA. I know that's, you know, what I had mentioned in that um, above-the-law interview, but our team actually just hired the first litigation and contingent risk broker in Asia, my colleague uh, Catherine Neo, who's working out of Singapore and who is tasked with building out the market there in order to meet the demands of Aon's global client base, um, which is regularly bringing us Asian litigation risks or Asian litigation investments that would benefit from this same sort of insurance coverage. Uh, and Catherine is fantastic. And while she's only been with us for a few months now, she has made great progress already in building out the market over in Asia by really using the same playbook that I and the rest of my team use to build out the market here in the States. All right. So, so far we've talked about some of the great things that are happening in this sector, the real, the, the positives, the growth, all of that. I want to ask you about the challenges that you face in your role as an insurance broker. What are some of those challenges that you're facing right now? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's, there's challenges in the market and then there's just challenges kind of in terms of broking this insurance place. And so, you know, uh, in terms of, or in, in these insurance products, um, in terms of just the challenges that I face in my role as a broker, you know, I don't really know where to begin because it, it's certainly a challenging job in just about every respect. Um, you know, when I first considered leaving private practice, uh, where I had regularly been billing upwards of 3,000 hours a year for seven or eight years, I wanted to do something that would be less intense, less all-consuming. Uh, and I can definitely say now that I failed utterly in that regard because while I thankfully left the billable hour behind, broking litigation and contingent risk insurance is in many ways even more challenging than being a big law associate was. Um, you know, there are a lot of components to the job. There's obviously the sort of product evangelization uh, that I mentioned earlier, which I've been doing a lot of over the past five years in order to drive awareness of these solutions and drive the growth of both Aon's business and the broader market for this insurance. Um, there's innovation and new product development, which Aon has spearheaded with judgment preservation insurance, with our creation and development of insurance-backed judgment monetization, which basically just uses judgment preservation insurance as a more cost-effective way to monetize judgments that are on appeal, uh, and with many of the new coverages that we've developed for our litigation funder clients. And then when you're innovating and developing new products, you know, it is very, very challenging to um, start getting uh, insurance companies to be willing to write those coverages, right? Because I think, you know, insurance is generally a pretty conservative uh, area and getting uh, insurance companies to, to kind of change their ways or do new things can often be like, uh, you know, turning a battleship. But that's certainly a, a challenging part of the job as well. And then, of course, a huge part of my job also involves diligencing the different risks that find their way to us in order to make sure that they are, in fact, insurable. And as you can imagine, I and the others on my team get many different emails and phone calls every day from folks who are interested in seeking this insurance for their legal risks. And most of those risks are not actually insurable. And my team needs to run every one of those opportunities to ground before they ever make their way out to the insurance markets. And that is a, you know, that's just hugely time consuming and difficult work. 
that requires legal expertise drawing on my and my colleagues' time as former practicing complex commercial litigators with decades of collective big law experience actually litigating these sorts of cases. Um, but doing all of that work up front is necessary for you know several different reasons. One, because you know we can't be wasting our time, our clients, and their lawyers' time, uh, and the insurance company underwriters' time on risks that are not likely to be insurable. Two, because we as brokers need to be good stewards of this marketplace that we're operating in and make sure that only the right sort of deals are getting done so that this market remains sustainable. Uh, and third, because even if you know somehow every opportunity that came across the transom was a good risk and an insurable risk, we would need to hire 20 more people onto my team if we were ever going to be able to actually broke all those policies, given how labor-intensive even a single one of these placements is. Um, and also now, as there are more brokers entering the space, you know, once we find a legal risk that we like, we need to explain to those prospective clients why they should hire Aon as the sort of OG in this space, uh, for lack of a better phrase, um, as the broker with more experience broking these risks than anyone else versus some other broker who's never placed one of these policies before or doesn't have a track record of actually getting these deals over the finish line. And that's getting more and more difficult because a lot of the newer or less experienced, you know, kind of Johnny-come-lately brokers entering the space tend to make representations to clients about what is achievable um, from a pricing perspective or timing-wise that are just completely divorced from reality because they, they just don't know any better. Um, or maybe they're just lying to win deals. I don't know. Um, but a lot of clients, you know, they also don't know any better. Uh, and they end up getting led down a primrose path and don't end up being able to place a policy because their broker just isn't up to the job. So, you know, we have to also um, basically now, you know, engage in these, these competitions for opportunities in a way that we, we didn't really have to before when there weren't as many folks in the space. Um, and then, of course, advocacy is a big part of the job as well. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm a broker, and it's my job to convince insurance underwriters that the risks that I'm presenting to them are worthwhile for them to underwrite and insure. And in a lot of senses, the advocacy work that I'm doing with underwriters at these insurance companies is very similar to how I used to advocate for my clients with judges and juries and government regulators uh, with one major difference, and that's the standard of proof that I need to hit. Uh, because it's not in the insurance context preponderance of the evidence, right? I'm not aiming for 51% or 50.1% or likelihood that our client wins. Um, on most of these policies, we're talking about rates online of somewhere between 10 and 20%. And rate online is just insurance speak for what is typically a one-time upfront premium payment expressed as a percentage of the coverage limits that you're purchasing. So 10% rate online on a $10 million policy is a $1 million premium. 20% rate online on a $100 million policy is a $20 million premium. And so when you have that sort of pricing, 10% rate online means that for every dollar of premium an insurer is taking in, they're putting $9 at risk. And 20% rate online means that for every two bucks of premium that an insurer takes in, they're putting $8 at risk. And with those sorts of economic dynamics and those rates online, I as a broker need to get insurers to a much, much higher confidence level than mere preponderance of the evidence. And clearing such a high bar with regard to the standard of proof is an extremely challenging part of the job, even for the best and most pristine, straightforward risks, because litigation is fundamentally uncertain. And that's you know, why this insurance exists in the first place. And then the last thing I'd say in terms of you know, the challenges of being a broker in this space, you know, the, the nitty gritty of policy negotiation and just managing the insurance placement process 
um, is also a challenge, particularly when you're doing things like building the largest ever litigation and contingent risk insurance policy at nearly a billion dollars in limits with more than 30 different carriers on the program, um, which, which is something that I and my team did last year. Um, and so, you know, I think the bottom line there is that developing this market and creating these new solutions was extremely challenging. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of in the past and then on every single deal, getting one of these policies over the finish line is never easy, um, even now that the market is fairly well developed, not even for the best legal risks when we have clients who are highly motivated to procure coverage and when we have underwriters who really know what they're doing. Um, and there are usually many challenges along the way, which is why it's important for folks who want to avail themselves of this insurance to select their broker wisely, because we're really kind of not all the same. Uh, and then with respect to kind of challenges in the broader market, I mean, obviously, um, you know, this insurance has been around for, for a couple of years now. Um, and insurance being what it is, uh, you know, well, I think first and foremost, the nature of these litigations that we're insuring is such that, you know, you may not have a resolution of a, an insured litigation until years after the policy is bound. And so the nature of insurance being what it is, um, you know, we're, we're obviously seeing claims now. Claims activity is increasing um, in a way that we haven't seen before just because there's more policies that have gotten done and because policies are now starting to, to actually come off risk that were placed several years ago. Um, and so, you know, that's something that um, is presenting challenges as well, right? If there are significant losses in the marketplace, that is going to make insurers, um, you know, think twice about uh, whether or not they might want to do a given deal. And so that's something that we're also navigating, which is uh, a new thing in the marketplace too. Oh, that's really great. Um, I want to just end on a, one final question because you did speak about industry, how the industry has evolved, you know, since your, your time joining a few years ago. I want to ask what you think about the evolution of the industry over the coming years. So what can we expect from litigation insurance in the near term? Well, I think, you know, if the buzzword of this conversation is awareness, um, I think awareness is going to keep increasing, right? I think more and more litigants and investors in litigation are going to become aware of it and are going to seek this coverage. Um, I think we will see interest among potential insureds continue to skyrocket in particular in three areas. Uh, one, in the litigation funding space. Two, among private equity firms looking to buy and sell portfolio companies that are involved in active litigation. And then three, among companies that hold large judgments as well as their contingency fee counsel. Um, I expect more insurers will get into the space as well. Uh, I speak regularly to folks both within the broader insurance industry uh, as well as folks who have no experience with insurance at all who are interested in starting up their own insurance MGUs or MGAs that would focus on uh, litigation and contingent risk insurance. And I think we'll start to see some of those shops come online in due time. Uh, I also think that some of the insurers who are already in the space to some extent, maybe they only provide excess capacity but don't act as primary insurers on these deals, or maybe they don't have a dedicated litigation uh, underwriting uh, staff. I think they'll start to move into the space in a bigger way, stepping up to offer primary terms on risks that they really like, hiring former practicing litigators, or as we have seen increasingly lately, hiring folks from the litigation funding world uh, to lead their underwriting of these sorts of risks. Um, I think we're going to continue to see more of a shift towards portfolio-based insurance solutions with less of a focus on single-case risks, though I think the market for judgment preservation insurance and adverse judgment insurance on a single-case basis will still remain robust. 
Um, and then, you know, as I started to mention earlier, you know, there a lot of limits have been written by these insurance companies over the last five years, billions of dollars worth of limits, most of which remain on risk right now. So I think insurers and reinsurers are going to be watching very carefully to see how those policies perform and will then take lessons from that into how they operate in the space going forward. Uh, and for example, I talked about this a little bit in the above the law piece that you mentioned earlier, but some of the policies that are causing insurers the most concern right now are judgment preservation insurance policies that were placed on patent infringement judgments. And if some of those policies end up ultimately resulting in claims, insurers will naturally adjust the way that they underwrite those sorts of cases. And the result might be that patent JPI policies become much harder to get done, which has already happened to an extent. Uh, and, and that, in turn, might very well drive continued insurer adoption of portfolio-based structures that better diversify risk. Uh, and so, you know, all in all, I think that while our niche little corner of the insurance industry is going to continue flourishing, uh, as we continue to build out this market, we need to do so, uh, you know, we need to be smart about it, right? Uh, and that we there means brokers like Aon and the other brokers in the space. It means insurers and, and underwriters at the insurers, uh, as well as the executives at these insurers who kind of decide what um, categories of coverage uh, those insurance companies will and won't um, write. Um, I also mean, uh, when I say we, the actual insured litigants and investors uh, on these policies, I mean the outside counsel that assist insurers in underwriting these policies. Uh, I really mean every participant in this overall economic ecosystem. We all need to make sure that we are doing these deals and building out this market wisely because, um, uh, you know, we just need to make sure that the deals that are getting done are the right deals, um, that, that litigations aren't being insured because the litigant or the investor believes they're going to lose the case uh, or is concerned about losing the case, but rather because the insurance delivers some ancillary benefit to that litigant or that investor that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of absent the insurance. Excuse me, the insurance. Um, we need to make sure that the underwriting that is done on these deals is as thorough and robust as possible. Um, we need to make sure that we as brokers and our clients and their lawyers think of the insurers in this space as genuine partners on mutually beneficial and mutually advantageous transactions, not as just kind of the, the dumb money in the room, because they're not. Um, I, they really never have been, and, but if, if they were at some point, they're certainly not now. Um, the folks who are underwriting this coverage are unbelievably sophisticated, and they're getting more sophisticated by the day. Um, and so I think all of that needs to be kept in mind as we, we move this market forward, because we're in a really good place in this market right now, and, and I hope and expect that we're going to continue on this positive trajectory, but it's going to take everyone involved in this market and everyone participating on these deals to be kind of rowing their oars in the same direction in order to, to kind of bring this to, to where it can go. Well, Stephen, uh, you know, we really appreciate you coming on and, and diving really deep into the insurance market. Um, it's great to see the growth here, and uh, there's a lot of potential on the horizon, as you mentioned. Um, so yeah, really appreciate the deep dive here and specific examples. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously this is a big, important topic for every litigation funder out there and everyone in the community. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and sharing more about Aon. My pleasure as always, John. Absolutely. And if you'd like to learn more about uh, Stephen and Aon, you can visit them at their website, www.aon.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next episode of the Litigation Finance Podcast.